Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode, we're talking to Antron Brown and Matt Smith, two guys making huge headlines in the countdown to the championship. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. A top fuel racer on the rise and a pro stock motorcycle legend that's regained the points lead. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line, stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pentagon, 395-8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 thousandths of a second. Hey, everybody. Brian Loans back again with another episode of the NHRA Insider. Back into the mode of talking to some drivers, or in this case, a driver and a rider, and Antron Brown and Matt Smith. We'll get to those conversations in just a couple minutes. But what a week, what a stretch of three weeks it really has been to start this countdown. We now get to kick it into neutral for a weekend to prepare ourselves for the stampede of speed in the NHRA Texas Fall Nationals, which is the culmination of the Stampede of Speed, a week-long drag racing extravaganza that goes on at the Texas Motorplex. You can go to stampedespeed.com to grab your tickets for any and all aspects of the Stampede of Speed. And uh, it's going to be a great weekend there. We'll come back next week with a uh, pre-race show. I'll bring Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna back. Those guys have been crushing it. Uh, and I think a lot of you have been enjoying listening to their, uh, their takes and their back and forth when we have those pre-race style shows. But you know, for the purposes of this particular show, I really did want to get uh, in the heads, hearts, and minds of some of our drivers, especially uh, these two particular gentlemen and Matt Smith and Antron Brown. And before we get into all that stuff, let's talk a little bit about the Midwest Nationals, what we saw, uh, maybe what was surprising, what was uh, groundbreaking in some cases, and what we should look forward to in these next couple of races. And, and for me, you have a couple of you know, you, you have four really stratified um, storylines in this countdown, which is neat because not all of them are following the same script and it gives us different angles and aspects to analyze and talk about the championship hopes and dreams of those that are contending and those that are still uh, on their last legs of trying to contend. Uh, if we start with the pro stock motorcycle category, the reality of the situation uh, for Matt Smith, he's 21 points ahead now of Joey Gladstone and you know, it's almost um, it's it's a scary prospect, I think, for anybody if you've followed this sport long enough to see Matt Smith in that mode of uh, attaining a points lead, attaining a points lead with three races to go. We're typically talking about a guy in a team in Matt Smith Racing, along with his wife Angie, who's third in the points and is having her own kind of career year. Um, yeah, this isn't a guy who really gives a lot back typically. I mean, like any and all drag racers in, across time and history, uh, mechanical issues and gremlins can pop up. But in terms of his approach, in terms of his mental state, in terms of his abilities, um, this is not a guy who is geared to be overwhelmed by having a points lead, to be overwhelmed by carrying uh, that lead through. And that's part of the discussion we're going to have with him about exactly what um, – exactly what that makeup comes from, how it how it is developed, and, and what he does to maintain it. So that would be the pro-stock motorcycle front. In pro-stock car, uh, totally different set of circumstances in that you have Erica Enders now uh, 100 points ahead of anybody else, and um, not to say that uh, that weird things couldn't happen with that, but you know, the, the, she cannot lock up a championship in Dallas, but to me, uh, if she goes down there in her home state, again, not her home track, but in her home state and delivers the goods as she has done so, so many times before, 
um, that one is basically in the bag, right? Unless, you know, the proverbial truck gets lost on the way to Vegas and, and Pomona. So the, the real story in pro stock is going to be who ends up kind of second and third. Um, and still, again, the championship is open uh, for discussion, but uh, it is by far the widest gap anybody has on the rest of the field. And, you know, it's a, it is a level of excellence that they have achieved and maintained over the course of this year, not without their ups and downs, but their ups have been very up and their downs have been, um, as compared to everybody else, ups. So it is uh, a difficult thing to contend with when that is the particular team you're going to try to knock out. Do people try to start playing hook them and, and uh, you know, uh, manipulate the ladder to get the best matchups in terms of a championship hunt? I kind of hope we start to see that in Texas because if they don't, um, it is effectively, in a way, almost capitulation for everybody else. If you don't start to try to throw roadblocks at her, chop blocks, um, you know, backfield tackles at her at this point in the countdown, wh- when else are you going to do it? And, and how are you going to try to achieve a championship without letting her kind of run off with it? Uh, and not, that's not to say they haven't earned it because they certainly have. It is uh, of a, a woman who has had career years. This is shaping up to be yet another one of them in Nitro Funny Car. It is um, it is separation of the top two cars from everybody else. Not certainly not to the degree Erica has it, but Robert Hyde and Ron Caps have established themselves uh, over the course of these first two countdown races as those two guys who have begun to grab a gear that the other competitors don't necessarily seem to have um we see it it really in in funny cars played out differently than top fuel which i'll get to in a second but funny cars played out in a much more traditional way meaning that the first rounds we see in funny car um are the kinds of first rounds you would expect with the expected results good cars qualifying well good cars beating less good cars in the first round so there's not a lot of of intrigue in that in that it, it is the later rounds where things become very very important and it's those later rounds that have defined Ron Caps and Robert Height specifically uh, in this countdown and really through this regular season as well. Um, the Hagen team is as dangerous as ever, but they they continue to fade a little bit and uh, another second round and or semifinal loss with those two guys being able to advance farther in Texas would be um, in a way you know, a, a backbreaker for a team that has a very strong back and that will race very hard to the end. Uh, something something that of that nature in Texas would really, to me, uh, provide a, a, a gulf between the two cars that are leading the field and everybody else that is almost insurmountable. And then we get to Top Fuel. And this is the most insane, intriguing, awesome, heartbreaking, nail-biting, sweat in the corner under the hot lamps of pressure type of situation that I've ever experienced in professional drag racing. We've seen some great battles over the years that have typically been, you know, two-man battles. We talk about Ormsby and we talk about uh, Amato in the late 80s and in the early 90s and we talk about all those different things and they're all great and they're all fun, but when you have three races left and you have effectively seven cars that are less than 90 points out of first place um, and you continue on a week-to-week basis to see those seven, eight, nine points earners going the distance or going close to the distance and you see those top four points earners going out early, this is what 
the kind of sine wave of this countdown has turned into in top fuel. Uh, Justin Ashley's first round loss was uh, not enough to knock him out of the points lead, but it was certainly enough to take some wind out of their sails. Uh, Mike Salinas going out a little earlier than he he would have wanted the same scenario. And then you get a guy like Josh Hart that looked like he was going to be mired down in that in that lower end of the countdown uh, kind of tally, all of a sudden finds himself in fifth making a final round. And we certainly... You know, Steve Torrance, uh, here he comes again. You know, this guy is this guy is within spitting distance of the points lead all of a sudden. Brittany Forrest goes out there, runs uh, the world's speed record of top fuel drag racing, and, and she doesn't see uh, near as much of the day of, on Sunday as she wanted to see in St. Louis. And I, I think the difference in top fuel and funny car, other than, you know, the fact that we have typically bump spots in top fuel and we've had a lot of 16 car and, and maybe 15 car fields uh, in funny car, which we will not have for the rest of the countdown, by the way. We will have an, a, an overabundance of participation in all the pro categories, specifically in funny car and top fuel. Uh, there are already 22 top fuel cars entered at the Texas Motorplex for, for the Texas Fall Nationals and the Stampede of Speed. So, uh, that that one shows no signs of slowing down, and and a lot of the conversation I want to have with Antron is going to be regarding that and his role. He's been one of the primary movers uh, in this countdown. We saw that car start to really peak its head out. Um, Topeka wins the race, and it wins the race in a in a gritty, hard hard scrabble fashion. Then they start laying up some sixties on the board in Brainerd, and that was an eye opener for everybody. Then they win Indy, and and off to the races they go. And talking about that progression, uh, how his season has gone from one of of just work and frustration and and beating your head against the wall to one now that that may be um, uh, of a championship destiny, that's going to be part of that uh, chat we have with Antron Brown to kind of get the inside take on that. But to me, um, I think it is, if not impossible foolhardy to try to make any sort of top fuel prediction. And, and I feel like I'm going to be saying those same exact words on the week we go to Pomona, because even if things go, you know, according to the script, so to speak, with the best cars, they're not going to be that far ahead. And Pomona being points and a half, and this goes for every category, um, that will have implications, but it will have less, less implications for a driver like Erica Enders, probably less implications for a Matt, a driver like a rider like Matt Smith, probably. Uh, but in Nitro, Funny Car, and Top Fuel, uh, that that could be the game changer. Ron Caps knows it all too well. He won a championship last year after being eliminated early, but Alexis took down Matt Hagen in that semifinal to close the season, and uh, that locked him up for the championship. The Top Fuel, I, I can't foresee, and this is not any sort of bold prediction, but I can absolutely foresee a final round of Pomona, the final run of the entire season deciding a top fuel world championship. And it's happened before. It hasn't happened in a while. And when I look at the response on social media to, to even some of the posts I've made personally and, and some of the posts we're seeing from different media outlets that follow uh, NHRA drag racing, people are absolutely on board with this top fuel chase. It is the best possible scenario for drag racing fans no matter who you love or who you're pulling for it is the best possible scenario because even if the the guy or woman you're pulling for isn't leading right now or is a little bit further back than you want them history very recent history has shown us that one weekend can make the difference and change the whole scope of the game and you know the depth of competition in top fuel is is by far in my opinion the deepest of all four of the professional categories the parity among the best teams the parity among the best drivers 
uh, the parity among the best crew chiefs. Uh, the, this is what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing side by side runs, tens of thousands of seconds, multiple times a race weekend. Um, we're seeing small mistakes manifest themselves into a race loss or a round loss that can have, you know, that that resonating effect to the end of the year. And what else is there better in drag racing than that? When you take the, the very basic nature of this sport, a sprint to a fixed uh, finish line over the course of a fixed distance, um, let's let's look at it in the macro way. What is a season? A, a season of drag racing is a, a sprint between a, a fixed starting line in Pomona and a fixed finish line in Pomona this year. And so when we get that that symmetry and that poetry of, of a, a last race, last ditch, throw everything at it, you have battle, which I... I mean, there's no way around it at this point. We, we should see in top fuel. Um, it, it is it is the fruition of everything, the fruition of everything that you want to see, not only in professional drag racing and drag racing at any level. I don't care if you're a local bracket racer. You want to see the best two, the best three, the best four racers at your local track on that final day of the season, knowing the implications of each of those runs that they're going to make on that day, um, what it's worth and how they deal with it and how they don't deal with it and who collapses and who rises and that is what we are uh, on a very grand scale in store for in texas and las vegas and finally in in pomona california at the nhra finals it's um it, it can't be overstated to me just how neat just how absolutely neat the whole season shaping up with all these storylines and all the hype we gave to Top Fuel and here it comes. It's actually living up to the living up to the, the prognosticators' guesses. You know, I think it's um, I, I think it's almost beyond description. It certainly makes me really happy and it, and it keeps my mind engaged on on what's coming next and who needs to do what next and which team uh, which team is flailing and which team is playing with the house money and and all that kind of good stuff. So. That's kind of my uh, insight look into where we're at in the season right now. But really, you're here to listen to Matt Smith and Antron Brown. And we're going to hit leadoff with Matt Smith today. And I'm just going to leave it at that. So the uh, next thing you'll hear is uh, me introducing Matt Smith onto the show. I spoke to him a little while ago over the course of the day. Then I spoke to Antron Brown. And um, I think you're going to like what you hear on this episode of the NHRA Insider. So without further ado, let's get to the interviews. All right, so our first guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider following a great race weekend at the Midwest Nationals, the, the winner in Pro Stock Motorcycle and now the points leader, Matt Smith. How you doing, Matt? Good. How you doing, Brian? Doing really well, man. And uh, I think this is uh, such an interesting time of the year. I wanted to catch up with you, not just because of the win, but really because we're setting ourselves up for this kind of final three-race push for the championship. So I want to get into all that. But first off, uh, walk me through Sunday, man, because it was about as good as it gets for you. Yeah, you know, our weekend started out great uh, on Friday when we made our first pass and went 670 at, at 202, and that was my quickest uh, run ever. Uh, you know, my previous quickest run was a 672 on the Suzuki, so uh, uh, very excited that we got the bike running really good, and, uh, you know, we was number one qualifier, and then come Sunday, I mean, we had, I think, one of the best bikes there. I mean, we wasn't the quickest bike on Sunday. But we were the best bike, I guess, in the end. Yeah, and that's one of the things I want to talk about, especially on Sunday, because, you know, we look at the conditions, you look at the racetrack, and we saw the bikes, you know, your 670 was, I mean, low ET by a couple hundreds in qualifying, but really nobody even got close to a low 70 really on Sunday. And, and I remember hearing you one time, you got off the bike maybe after second round, and you said, man, it just blew the tire off. So what changed either racetrack-wise or tune-up-wise for almost everybody in Pro Stock Bike to, to bring most of those bikes to a, like a 74 to 77 range? 
Yeah, I don't really know what changed. I mean, it seemed like the first pass was pretty decent uh, on Friday. I don't guess the track got real hot. Um, but I was having a problem from about 15 foot to 100 foot of the bike spinning real bad. And from what I talked to some of the Pro Stock Car guys and, and one of the top fuel teams, they told me that this is the St. Louis, the St. Louis track is a VP track or VP track during the regular season. Okay. And of, of course, NHRA uses PJ1. So when you combine the two things, no matter how much you scrape all the stuff off, there's still that residue and stuff still in there. And I think when the sun got out and they mixed the thing, after two or three days, it just come about and just made something wow. difficult uh, for the bike guys, you know, because we have the smallest contact patch of anybody yeah. and we only, ha- we only have one tire. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think that's why you saw our performance of the class, um, you know, not be as good on ET. I kept running big speed because once I got the bike going, you know, I kept tuning it better and getting more and more power, but it didn't do me no good in the first 60 to 100 <laughs> feet of the racetrack. Yeah, and, and as a tuner, um, how important is it to you to be able to be flexible like that? Because I feel like there are some guys that would approach it and just try to keep doing the same thing and instead of adapting to, you know, this understanding you have of the racetrack and kind of how it can dynamically change in the in the temperature. But how important is it for you to maybe not abandon the idea of trying to go as quick as you did on Friday night and just try to work to the conditions? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's all I did is I, I went up first Sunday morning. I had a buy. So I said, let's see what the track will hold. If it will hold the 70 tune-up, the 72 tune-up, then we're good. It didn't hold it. You know, it did the same thing it did on Saturday, you know, with it. So I went back, second round, and I just detuned the first 100, 150 feet of the racetrack, and it worked. I went out there, and I I made a good pass against Kelly. And then I come back the next run, and I I did the same thing. I just left it detuned for the first 100 foot of the track, and – I wasn't going as good as 60 foot as I needed to, but I knew once I got it in third gear, nobody could touch the performance of my bike, you know, that weekend. So I just let the bike do the work and I had to step up my game against Joey. I mean, he is killer on the tree and you know, I'm going to be 50 years old this year. So I'm not as good (laughs) in reaction time as what I used to be. And you know, I left on the kid, you know, by four thousands and the bike did its job and and we won the round. And, And then I did the same thing against Jerry. Um, I just, I went up there to have a 20 some light and I had a 26 light and, and won the race. And that's my mentality. I try to go up there and race my race, but when you had to run somebody like Joey in in the semifinals, I knew that was big because I had screwed up at Reading second round against him. And, uh, I wasn't going to let that happen again. Yeah, and listen, there's a there's a mental toughness to this sport we talk about a lot, and uh, there are people that can manage it. Clearly, you can uh, with the amount of championships you've won and, and what you're doing this season. And so I guess the, the process in your mind when you know, you say, okay, like I got a little history with this guy. I, I know I made a mistake in Reading. You can't let it eat you up, right? You just have to kind of uh, set your mind to the fact that you got to be a little bit better as opposed to just stewing on it, right? I mean, is that a risk? Is it a risk to overthink it? It is. It's a risk to overthink it, and I think a lot of people uh, tend to overthink a lot of things when they go up there to race whoever. And, you know, I know I have the target on my back. I've won the last two championships out there, and there's a lot of people gunning for me. The problem is I think once people go up against me and they know that they're racing me, I think they mentally make a lot of mistakes because they know they, hey, i got to push the tree. He's got a fast bike. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it makes them mess up, and it plays right into my hand because – I just try to be consistent and be my machine. 
and I want to go up there and go 20 to 40 on the tree every time. That's my goal. I don't want to go up there and go double O. I don't want to even go teens. I like to go 20 to 30 every time. And if I can do that and I get beat, then I just got beat, you yeah. know, and, and, and that's just my mentality. And, and I've won a lot of races and I've won five championships like that. And, you know, we're going to push for this six and they're going to have to go through our team to yeah. win that six. for somebody else to win this championship this year. Well, and that's an important thing to mention, our team, because Angie's bike is incredible. I mean, she's having one of the best seasons she's ever had. She's sitting uh, two spots behind you right now. She's third in the points, and it makes it even more, I guess, formidable for anybody else because it's not just you, right? It's, it is, and, and to a degree, Gianna's getting better and better on every run she makes, but really when I look at the two bikes that they're going to have to beat, uh, Angie's is is nearly as big as yours to try to get around. Yeah, I mean, you look at Reading, we qualified one and two. Uh, she was in the finals. Um, this race, we qualified one and four. I mean, she was right there, you know, uh, equally as fast and quick. So we have two really good bikes uh, right now in our camp. And I have a third one just sitting here. You know, we tested that Suzuki after Reading and got it right. And I can tell you now, I really believe that my Suzuki is faster than my V-Twin. And um, from the test session... It, it looked tremendously fast, and um, we're going to let Chip Ellis ride it at Dallas this week or oh, cool. next week coming up. So I want Chip to show how fast our Suzuki program is, you know, also, because I think a lot of people counted us out with that, that Suzuki, and I didn't abandon it. I just went to a bike that I know that I'm comfortable on, and I know what I can expect out of it. And that's why I've done what I've done the first two races of Countdown because I just have to go back to basics and go for this championship. Yeah, and and I think it's an important thing, and, and I'm interested in, in to kind of understand how you keep that side of, of your racing program as being a distraction, so to speak. How do you how do you manage the, the the idea that you're developing this Suzuki? It is getting better, and like you just said, it tested very strong, and it's cool. We're going to see it on the racetrack in Dallas. But how do you keep that? that extra work from being a distraction from, you know, what, what looks like a, a good run to a sixth championship here? Uh, you know, we just work hard in the shop. I mean, yeah. between me, me and Angie and, and Nate Kendrick is in here. We've got him full time. Now we are doing a lot of stuff in house. I mean, you know, for our team to only have three people working in the shop and developing the power that we are, uh, I think it says a lot about our program and, and, and everything, you know, um, we're really excited about the future of the Suzuki program. I think that the Suzuki has way, way more potential left and we've only started this process. And I think you're going to see uh, a lot of stuff um, out of it next year. We're, we just picked up our other chassis. Mike Milani got uh, oh, nice. our, our, our other chassis done. Um, and it might be that Angie's on that bike next year. So we are going to focus on doing a lot of work over the winter. And we're going to work mainly on the Suzuki stuff over the winter. We got some new V-Twin stuff that we're going to work on. But our goal is right now is to work on the Suzuki and see how fast we can we can make that over the winter because there's a lot of potential there, and that's what we're after. You know, Tony Pedregon brought this up on the show over the course of the weekend. I thought it was a very good point in that um, – there are a million different ways you can come and approach, you know, racing at the level that that you're racing at and that our pro stock motorcycle competitors are competing at. Um, your approach is, you know, complete and total dedication to the cause. And, you know, I think that it shines through. Obviously, five championships are not a mistake. And, and what's going on this year is certainly no accident or mistake. And I just it, it, it confuses me sometimes to look maybe around the pits at night or whatever and see 
and see a much like more of a party going on in a, in a potential contenders pit area than than what I see out of your pit area, which is, hey, you guys might be able to take a stroll with the dogs or something. But uh, but when it's time to go to work at the racetrack, it's full dedication from you guys. And I can't help but believe that's the one of the major separations between a, a Matt Smith racing and, and other teams out there. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, we stay at the track. We live there. Once we get in the track, we're all dedicated to winning races, winning rounds, and doing the best we can. And we don't party. You know, we play cornhole, you know, once we get <laughs> sure. our work done. Sure. But, you know, we're not out there, you know, doing the wrong thing, I would say, you know, sometimes and staying up two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And, and you know, no disrespect to any other team, but we came there to win. We didn't come there to party. You know, there's plenty of times to party, and that's the banquet at the end of the year yep. and all that stuff. But we're there to win races, and that's what our sponsors pay us money to do is win races. So we want to represent them the best that we can. And uh, I can promise you, our lights are on at the end of the night because we're working on stuff <laughs> and trying to figure out how to go how to go fast. And, and a lot of other teams, they're already gone or, you know, they're, they're the, celebrating stuff. The lights are on for another reason, yeah. <laughs> Um, you, you mentioned work, and, and that's this is one of the things I'm interested in too. Is so we have this uh, short break before we go down to Dallas for the Stampede of Speed. Uh, take me through kind of what your goals are to accomplish over the next uh, I don't know week and a half before you leave for Texas. I mean, what is kind of the what is the work schedule for Matt Smith Racing between today, which is Tuesday after the Midwest Nationals, until the trucks pull out of the driveway to go to Texas? Well, we have a lot of. Uh motors to freshen up we want to freshen up everything that we have because once we leave to dallas we won't be coming back home so i can tell you that there'll be four v-twin motors on the dyno uh this week and probably two suzuki motors on the dyno so we are preparing to get our stuff ready for battle because this is a big war there's three races left in this war and if we can go out there and perform for the next two races the way i look at it if we can go out there and win the battle at Dallas and win the battle of Vegas, then the war is about done for Pomona, and that's our goal right now. That makes sense. Makes sense to bring everything you got the first two, and, and certainly not put it in cruise control for Pomona, but at least have what would seemingly be nearly full control over your uh, kind of over your your competitive destiny there. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about one of the things I noticed in in you obviously you noticed it too in uh, St. Louis was that certainly past the finish line we saw a lot of motorcycles moving around down there, and I know there was a bump on one side, but can you talk a little bit about what the hell was going on with so many bikes coming fairly close to each other or even crossing? Uh, the center line past the finish line out there did you experience that sensation or how what did you do to counter it so i had it happen to me um on q3 that was the first time that i ran the right lane and for some reason and i don't know why but from thousand foot through the finish line it seemed like from the middle of the track over to the wall there was a, a more of a grade there that sucked you to the wall. Okay. If you stayed on if you stayed on the left tire groove or toward the center line going through the lights there on the right right side of the track, you were good. It stayed perfectly straight. But if you got over this a little bit, it just there was a there must have been a seam or there was a variation of more uh, of a slope there in the track. And it would just suck the bike right to the wall. And um, you know, and, and I experienced it with my bike, but it, I brought it right back. The big thing is, I think the high boost of body work, there's a a little bit of an arrow problem there. Um, And that's why I haven't ran that body work on my Suzuki program because there is a little bit of arrow problem there for some reason. It wants to go one way or the other a lot of times when you close the throttle blades. 
and I don't know what that is. Okay. It's a negative air pressure going on. And uh, I know that Vanson Hines is developing a new high boost of body work for next year. So maybe they'll get that out of it. But I think that's the big reason why, you know, I think that's why you haven't seen Corey Reed get back on a bike yet because they're waiting for the new body work to come out because that's what caused his problem. Yeah. You see, you see Angel have a lot of problems with it. Um, Eddie has a problem every now and then. Joey's bike is the only one that seems like it doesn't have that problem. And I don't know if it's mounted a little different or whatever, but all the other Hayabusa body works out there, they seem to have that problem. And, uh, you know, that's why I don't have it on mine. Yeah, and it's interesting too. I mean, with, listen, with Gladstone, the amount of different stuff that guy's ridden, and the amount of uh, you know the amount of different bikes and categories he's competed in, maybe there's you know, maybe there's a little bit of a um, let's call it a, a seat of the pants feel that he has that can counteract uh, maybe counteract that phenomenon better than others. Yeah, and it could be, but you know, like I said, I've I've just never seen his bike do that, and and I know Vanson Hines built his bike, built Corey's bike, they built all those Habus of you know bodywork bikes, you know, and mounted them. So there's just something a little tweaked, a little different on his deal that that works better. But you know, it's not my place to say. I yeah, just, that's why I haven't ran that bodywork. You know, I'm a I'm a Suzuki fan. I just have the TL bodywork on and not the Busa bodywork. So there are two guys in this category that have provided a lot of entertainment over the last few races. Uh, the, the first one rides one of your old motorcycles, Ron Torno. This guy is like the whole shard artist of, of 2022. He's done it now twice. He did it at the U.S. Nationals. He went out there and, and laid a whole shot win on um, on a competitor here this this last weekend in, in St. Louis. Uh, does it make you smile a little bit seeing your old bike out there actually knocking off some big names? It does. You know, Ron and, and, and his family are, are such a great, a uh, bunch of people and you know he bought the bike for me and and we've uh we put a, a a gen 2 motor in his bike for the last two races and you know really excited about you know trying to help him and, and his mom and his brother you know develop their program a little bit and he's doing such a good job of leaving the start line and, and keeping the bike straight still got a lot of stuff to learn yeah. and, and to be able to go faster but you know all in all he's done a great job we brought the bike back home. We're going to test it and try to get it faster for him over the winter. Um, so next year he can be even faster and, and do better. But he said his career best ET, his yep. career best speed, won some rounds here at the end of the year, just had a great year into his year and, and um, look forward to, uh, to working with him next year. And the other guy is Mark Ingerson. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for Mark because I see I see a little bit of Mark or, or you and Mark and the fact that, you know, my understanding is a lot of that is kind of a and again, he's got good resources, successful business guy in the, in the motorcycle business. But, you know, they do a lot of that stuff in house. And that dude, he's a he's a riding fool as well. Yeah. Mark's done a really great job with their team um, all year long. I mean, they've been good. They've been fast. I mean, they've done an exceptional job because. As a lot of people know, this V-twin stuff is really hard to make power. And 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 they're doing really good, you know. They're still not up to the potential of where we're at. Yeah. And that's kind of why we've kind of stopped on our V-twin program and focused on Suzuki because I, I would say when we had Vance and Hines out there with their V-twin program, they would make us push our V-twin to go faster and faster and faster. And, and, and they were really competitive with us. Well, right now, we have the best V-twin stuff in the class, so... I kind of put it to the back burner and I'm focusing more on our Suzuki stuff to make our Suzuki stuff faster than anybody else's Suzuki stuff. So I'm not being pushed by our V-Twin competitors, but they've done a really, really good job. And I know they've gotten faster and faster all year long. And Mark's doing a great job, you know, and his first win's coming. You know, yeah. I can see it coming because he does a good job of riding and they got a lot of good power. 
So last question before I let you go back out to the dyno is, you know, when we when we start to look ahead a little bit and, and obviously the goal here is a sixth championship, which puts you in a, you know, just an incredibly small uh, and an honorable group uh, in the history of pro stock motorcycle racing. You know, and I think a lot of people that maybe don't understand your competitive nature would go, OK, well, he gets the six one and, and that's probably good enough for him. But to me, it's like once you get the six one, if, if it happens to come this year and I'm not trying to speak it into fruition, but if it happens to come this year. In my mind, that probably makes you work even harder to try to go for a seventh, right? It's not satisfying to just be in a small group. I think it's probably, for a guy like you, most satisfying to be in your own group. Yeah, you know, just to tie, you know, Dave Schultz and and Andrew Hans, you know, for a sixth championship would be huge for my career. I mean, you know, I, I started this in 2005 of – I just wanted to win a race. I just wanted to be like Dave Schultz and Angel and John Myers at the time. Those were the people I looked up to. And even Matt Hines was out there, you know, and I wanted to be like them. And to have my names in the conversation of a Dave Schultz and Andrew Hines is just phenomenal. And I'm just so glad that I'm able to represent the class and, and to be able to show people and all the fans and the little kids that look up to, you know, maybe I'll get one of the people that come up in the motorcycle ranks down the road and says, hey, I want to be like Max Smith because yeah. I have I have been there. I've been like, I want to be like Dave Schultz. I want to be like Andrew Hines. I want to be like Matt Hines. So maybe uh, down the road somebody will say, hey, I want to be like him because, you know, I'm still doing this, you know, for some of the new people coming in and, uh, you know, just proud to be to have my name mentioned with him. Yeah, it's great, man. And and I told you this via text a couple of weeks ago. I ran into your sister at the uh, at the airport bar in, in Charlotte. And we had a great conversation for a little while. And I won't I won't tell you uh, all the stories she told me, but you know, and I, I just want to hear this quick one before I let you go. And that I had no clue that your first kind of traveling job in drag racing was working as the clutch guy on Tommy Johnson Jr.'s top fuel car. I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always worked with my dad. You know, when yep. I was in high school and all that stuff. But when I graduated high school, I had worked a deal out with Tommy Johnson Jr. Uh, to work on to do his clutch program um, with his top fuel car. And that's kind of when they were in an independent, but they had just got the Mopar deal back in the day. So I moved full force to Tomba, Iowa, and I went and worked for him for a year and a half. I stayed there and did that. And, you know, I left home to come back home to just be with my family and go back to working with my dad. But. It was a great experience. I had a lot of uh, good stuff and, and helped Tommy get one of his first win, you know, in, in his top fuel car back then, you know, doing the stuff. So it's a really exciting time and, and, and had a good time doing it. Probably no different. I think Robert Height did the same yeah. thing back in the day, worked for somebody, and, and look at where he's at now. So uh, it's a good story and, you know, just happy that I've, I've been able to do a lot of stuff in my life. You have, man. Well, congratulations on the success in St. Louis. And uh, I know you're going to be working your fingers to the bone the next week and a half. So good luck on that, on the dyno. And I can't wait to see how it all shakes out at the uh, Stampede of Speed, man. Thanks, Brian. And I uh, appreciate you having me on the show. So after a great conversation with Matt Smith, we turn our attention to the top fuel category and to a man who has uh, lived the lives of 10 men <laughs> over the course of this season so far. Antron <laughs> Brown, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Brian. Doing good, man. So, I mean, there's a lot to chat about here, right? And and one of the first things I want to talk to you about or ask you about is the situation and the and you're 43 points out of the top fuel lead right now, well within one of the most incredible points battles I think we've ever seen in the category. But it certainly wasn't looking that way the whole season. So you're a guy whose faith 
seems to have never wavered. And I, I'm wondering where that comes from, man, because you stuck to your guns, you stuck to your guys, and you stuck to the plan through a time period where I'm not sure a lot of people would have. Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's like I, I always have that theory, like I learned in history class a long time ago, that Rome wasn't built in the day. And the thing about it is, is that in today's world and in society, everybody wants short-term success. Nobody wants to put the legwork in and figure out how or, how or when. And I've been around the game long enough, and yeah. I know what our guys are doing on the car. It's not like I'm a different guy where I'm just sitting back and saying, well, this is jacked up. How they're doing it? What's going on? Right. I'm, 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 in, I'm in the trenches with them, so I understand what's going on. And we just kept on poking and prodding and, and fixing and finding the areas where we were struggling at. And, and what a lot of people don't realize is that we start off, if you saw what our shop looked like at the beginning of the year, it was nothing in here. We had empty shelves. <laughs> we didn't buy our tried and true combination that we run from DSR for all those years and fix it and put new parts to it. We had bare chassis just with the management on it where we rebuild everything. We start off with brand new parts that we've never ever run before. Clutch systems, uh, injectors, and then different stuff here. We, we went back to a different manifold and we did this and we did that. I mean, there was a lot of things and then we even had new crew guys so for me, I, we knew it was going to be a process going through. And you can hear all the people on the outside looking in, talking and saying this and saying that. But we just ignored and put the blinders on and saying, we just got to keep going. And then once we started fixing the things that we saw that was wrong, wrong and we saw some light at the end of the tunnel, we saw some hints of brilliance going on, and then the consistency wasn't there. And then we messed up here. We went to the four-wide final in Vegas and we lost you know what i mean and we're like and it was our fault like you know we we, we had a deal that was wrong in a car that we did not catch and it was our race to win there so so it was a lot of things that we said you know what we just gotta we gotta like crawl and then we started walking and then we started jogging and then we started walking again <laughs> <laughs> and then we went from that to jogging to a full-blown sprint once we got through the western swing that really showed us what was going on you know, as as frustrating and as painful it had to have been at times, I got to imagine in the long run, this experience as, you know, your first year as a team owner that we made a huge deal of coming into this season, um, this has to have like a measurable value, right? Because it's one of those things that if it comes out of the gate and everything's on grease rails and it just goes, it goes perfectly, um, you don't have that adversity. And, and you know, the old saying goes that, you know, what is it? The best deal is made in the, in the hottest flame. And, and you guys, you know, for a while there, I think you guys are in some, some warm flames there and, and here you come out, out the right side of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and for us, you know, the turning point was literally Sonoma, we, we had everything right, and then we still had a mishap in Pomona where we blew up and the car slowed down. We should have won first round there. And then we did it again where we qualified well in Seattle, and then we are like, all right, this is the breakout race. Here we go. Because, like, you know, and then we did everything, and it, it felt so cool to see the guys communicate and talk and go, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And we forgot to do one thing, and uh, it was hilarious because the car was on a, on a run. We are running as quick as Brittany Force did. E1 of Seattle and then uh, we forgot to move one of our uh, maps out the way and we hit it and it actually stopped the clutch from going oh. and, and, and then the car slowed down but we were like like we were racing Leah and we we're literally three or four hundred quicker than her through the 330 
and then it shut the clutch off and I could hear my motor just up there revving in a car not being pulled on because it just stopped the clutch and I'm like are you kidding me and then we lose by like like eight thousandths of a second <laughs> and I'm like are you kidding me but you know what it was another way to lose but it was just one thing that we just forgot we're like oh we forgot to move that out the way and it crashed into it and slowed it and slowed everything down but then when we came back home we're like alright Topeka's next we're just going to keep doing what we do it's going to be hot and we just got to figure it out and then when we popped off that Topeka win it was like a brush of fresh yeah. air and everybody's like alright we're here we know what we got and we're going to get better and then our next test was we just had to wait till we get to some really good conditions to pop off some high 60s yes. that's what's going to take the win and we're like we've been close like 70 71 72 but we haven't ran like a 68 or 67 in a while and we're like once we get that in our resume and get that in our arsenal then it's going to give us the full gambit of where we can be better and and then when we got to the like Brainerd we yep. popped off that 60 yeah and uh Brainerd second round we don't know what's happening because we thought that we were geared up to win that race and the track just got medieval for everybody's second round. Don't know how or why. Yeah, that was wild. It really was. I mean, it was like it was everybody showed up, and it was like the the, the script had flipped over. Yeah, yeah, and it was a flip of a coin. And and uh, and but then you know, in hindsight, we came back. We didn't let it get us down. And then when we got to Indy, we just kept on pushing. And Indy, we just really start letting people know what we really had in store and what we and all the work that we were working on. It was there. And when we popped that Indy went off and through the competition that we had to race and how we did it, it was, uh, I looked at the guys and said, guys, we're here. We're here. Let's keep our head down. The countdown's next and let's get after it. And, uh, and, and that's pretty much been our story since then is that we just been there. And, uh, and Redding got me just upset because I just messed up when I pedaled a car. I tried to grab the brake and I, I pulled the brake and I got back on the gas too soon. And I just messed up against Austin when we should have beat Austin there. And that, and that was just, that was, I took full responsibility to the guys and said, look, we should have went down the track, but in hindsight, I should have been able to pedal it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, and I just messed up. I, I literally messed up because I didn't, I didn't go in that round thinking I was going to have to pedal the car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, and, and what's the nature of a team? The nature of the team is it's a, it's a constant kind of give and take on the, on the days that it's great. It's a give and take. And, and on the days where it doesn't end up the way you want it to give and take as well. And so, you know, I think it's, it has to be a good feeling to look those guys in the eye and understand that, that they got your back just as much as you got theirs. And, and that to me is the value of, of what you guys worked your way through, you know, and really when you reeled off that 60 in Brainerd, Pedragon looked at me and he said, there it is. He said they did it, and he said he said it's like a boxer finding their range with a jab or a punch, and it takes a little while. But once you find the range, then you can start landing the shots. And and he, I mean, he pinpointed that moment when you guys ran that sixty in Brainerd as as a um, as a very critical moment for the rest of the year. Absolutely, and, and, and Tony knows he's been around it. You know what I mean? And uh, you only could you only could say what you see, yep. and, and that's what everybody was seeing. And 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 for us. It's going to be a tight stretch, but I like our chances. I like our shots. Uh, our, our team is definitely coming together. And uh, and these next three races, we got four qualifying runs, so it's some more points up for grabs. And we're going to go in there, and we get two laps in each lane, which makes it a lot better for race day, where you get two laps at a lane that you get to race down on race day. Where when we have the three qualifiers, it kinds of makes it like it puckers you up a little bit because you only get yeah. in qualifying you can have one lap 
in a good lane and you could have two laps in the bad lane. <laughs> right. Or you could have two laps in a good lane and one <laughs> lap in a bad lane, which, which is not, not in my deal. opinion, yeah. it, it's, not, it's not ideal or fair yeah. for the competition, especially when you're qualifying. And they used to say like you wish that every track the lanes were good. Like Charlotte, both lanes were good. There ain't no complaints there. You know what I mean? Ready? Well, one lane's got more bumps than the other. You get what I mean? Some yeah. things are a little different. So 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 you can get a match. You hope that you're in the right lane to get the two good qualifying laps, but the last two, we ain't gotta worry about that. So that's a good part. As intense as this stretch run is going to be, and, and it will be intense, and, and you've been in these battles before, do you come into it maybe – are you looser now at 43 points back than you would have been years ago, uh, maybe 43 points up on everybody? I mean, is your mentality different, not just with experience, but really long-term experience, but also this the short-term experience of the season? Do you feel like – not that you're playing with house money, but maybe a little bit like that? Yeah, like, well, for me in general, like the way I approach it and the way I come into it is that uh, it, it's funny because a couple of guys on my team at the last race were nervous. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, why are you so nervous? Why are you shaking like that, man? I ain't never seen you so nervous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Brian Shearhart on my team was shaking in his boots and he's been with us when we won two championships <laughs> in 15 and 16. And he just came back to the team this year, like about a couple months ago. And I'm looking, I'm like, look, man, I go, we put the work in. We just got to trust what we put in. And it's nothing to be nervous about. Only way we're nervous is if we're unprepared. Yeah. And and for me, I'm going in where the more laps I get down the track, the more I get to drive the race car, the better I get. Sure. I'm, I'm just being honest. Yeah. And in all those years we won championships, the more – I start driving the car down the racetrack and you can even see it. The more laps I get, the better my lights get. You know why? Cause I get more comfortable because I'm like, I'm just driving a car. I'm not even thinking about what to do. I'm just doing it. And when you have less laps, you're thinking about, Oh, I want to be on time. I want to do this. I want to do that. Your stuff's not as good. So for me, from a driving standpoint, uh, we've been going down the track quite often now. And I mean, in competition. So, I'm just getting comfortable about being there where we belong and where we need to be. Like you look at Steve Torrance at the last race. Oh yeah. He was all over the place on the tree in the beginning. Like, yep. like first lap, he was there. Second lap he raced. He had a 098 light. The next light, light he cuts a better light. But then when he got to the final, he cuts O twenty seven, even though he rolled in a little bit. Like both yeah. him and Josh Hart rolled in. Oh, they both took so, a bite, but still twenty seven yeah, is nasty. But well, twenty seven, even if he rolled it in two, that's a forty seven still. That's a phenomenal light. You get what I mean? No matter which way you look at it, or if he rolled it in an inch, it's still a thirty eight or thirty seven light. So he's somewhere between a thirty eight and a forty eight light, which is phenomenal. You get what I mean? So so now he's getting back in his groove. You follow what I mean? Sure. And, and Josh Hart had a good light, even though he rolled it in. He had, I forget what he had, like, what do you have, like 51? Yeah, I mean, he was he was 51, and uh, obviously, as you well know, 51 on pretty much every other round out there is going to make you look like a hero, except <laughs> except when the other guy's 27. Well, well absolutely, but yeah. the thing about it is you got to take it for hindsight. For Josh, that was great, because yeah. normally he's like 70s or 80s. Yeah. Yes, sir. You, 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 you get what I mean? And at the end of the day, that's not a bad light. That's no. a good light. Like, what I call a bad light is when you start cutting, like, 90s, oh, 100s. Sure. And if you shallow stage and cut a 60 or 70, you're in the ball game. And yep. your car performs, you're going to win rounds. 
But when you you got to, but now in this countdown, you're gonna have to be in the 50s, brother. And it, and it, and then when you show up against an Ashley or a Tarts in a final, you better be 30s. <laughs> Which is just nasty to say out loud. I mean, it's true, but it's just, it's just, you know, you, you've you loved this stuff as long as I have. And you look back, and and I'm not taking a shot at any of these guys, but you look back at the you know the great days of Amato and Bernstein and all these guys battling out Normsby, battling out in Top Fuel, and they were nowhere near that. Nowhere no, near that. No, 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 no. Only, only person I would say that was near it, and I'm going to be honest, because I was a fan of his, was Bernstein. Bernstein, I saw him in days where he was 50s and high 40s. But back in the day when the cars didn't react, he was 80s and 70s. And that was like the, the cream of the crop back then. Yeah. But when he last drove a funny car, that Monster NG funny car, that joker was popping off mid-40s when everybody else was 70s and 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so that joker's no joke. So, you know, we look at this three-race stretch coming up. Uh, you guys have a, a, a few days to catch your breath here between races. Uh, is this a situation where the team's going west and not coming back, so you need to have everything kind of loaded up and, and ready to roll? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The guys are definitely preparing for that right now. We're loading all the stuff that we have to up into trailers right now. We're going through everything. And, uh, and, and right now, as we speak, like our car was ran out on numbers of – on the front half so we're getting a new front half put on it right now so we can make sure that we don't have no mishaps yeah you know what i mean i think we had like over 120 runs which is the most that we ever put on the front half we normally only put like 80 on the front half but uh but it looks so good and the car was running so good but we just want to make sure everything's tried and true for these last three races so we don't leave no stun on turn where something's getting worn out or we have a malfunction where it breaks and we have to switch to the other car we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, listen, and, and the and we've seen it, and obviously it was in dramatic fashion. But when you know when Steve had to go to the backup car in seventeen, you know you can really plot his course that season up until that moment in Texas when they had to go to the backup car, and it and it never really came back around for him. So I can totally understand that that approach that you guys are taking. Well, absolutely, and, and that's the thing. And it's not saying the backup car can't win the races. We exactly. won races with that car too, like with our car. You know, both our cars are, are pretty new. They're both built in twenty twenty one. So, so, and uh, and and that one's won a race. I think it won Atlanta last year. So, but the thing about it is, is that we got everything working on this car. The flows. I mean, yeah. the other cars are completely separate car, but it's there for a backup that we pull out and we race. You know what I mean? It's ready to go. But we've had all the success with this car this year with everything that we do. Like, we put it on this flow control. It does this. We do this. We do it here. It does that. So we want to keep that going. And when you put fresh pipe on it, it just responds even better. So so we're very familiar with how, how it works, where it'll put it up there where it should perform a lot better. And I think these last tracks are going to get even better than where we've been racing at. I, I think Dallas is going to be a little warm. It's going to be like mid-80s to low-80s, which is fine. So we know, we know how to race on those racetracks. Like when it gets hot, we already know we have did well in Topeka and other racetracks where when it gets hot, we feel just as home when it gets hot. <laughs> you know, we have we have a situation in Dallas where uh, there are already 22 top fuel cars pre-entered. I, look, I looked ahead at the last uh, two races following that, and we're already at 18 and I think 19 or 20 uh, in Vegas and I think close to that in Pomona. And – you know, to me, Top Fuel this year has really kind of lived up to the hype. We we talked so much in the off season about what we thought it was going to look like, and now we it actually seems to be looking like what we figured. And you know, with twenty two cars showing up, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean a top ten car is going to miss it, but it certainly does. Like you said, it, it it does add a little bit of pressure to make sure that there are no runs, drips, or errors, especially on that first qualifying session and and really the second one on Friday night. 
Well, absolutely, absolutely. And we have one at 5 p.m., like 5.30 or something like that on Saturday, too. So those two time sessions are going to be good. And we don't really know what the weather's going to be yet. Yeah. Like, we're looking at the extended forecast. We know how that changes. So if it cools off, it's just going to be good for everybody. And that track, even though when it's low 80s, it's got teeth because it's all concrete. And even in the middle of the day when the sun's out, people are still able to run good ETs. I remember it was hot there last year, and people were still running like mid-70s. Yeah, they were peeling them off. Yeah. You find what I mean? So that's going to be a deal where we got to run the racetrack, keep our head down. And now that the cars are so close, it's going it's, it's going to be a total team effort. And you're not going to see people be able to get away with like 80s and 90s and no. 70 lights. Like they're going to have to be on their game from from round one. And uh, and I'm making a point. This like I'm already back home and I, and I already went work out last night and working out this whole week. So this is going to be a boot camp training session where I get myself right to come in shape even more for the tail end of the season. Like I'm sparring right now. <laughs> nice. Well, one last question before I let you go. And and that question is, you know, obviously the, the goal is to go into Pomona as the points leader. That being said, the, uh, the, the tactician, the strategy guy in you, how, how close do you need to be to really 100% be a factor in Pomona? If you, if you roll into Pomona in the same spot you're in now, would you be happy with that? Not as happy as leading. I understand, but would you be happy with that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I want to roll into Pomona. To be honest with you, I want to. I, I want to be in first place. Is is the game plan? Is the goal? But I want. You have to roll into Pomona at least being less than around less than thirty points out from first. Is the game plan? Like I'm upset because uh, in St. Louis, I just knew it was at stake. Where where I knew I was in a good spot that I wasn't going to get out of contention, even though we lost first round. Yeah. But I wanted to win first round, and we could have won first round so easy. Just like I could not believe all the things that went wrong for us not to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, like like everything that could go wrong went wrong for us to lose, and it just wasn't meant to be. And if we got past that round there, we'd have raced Devo second round, and don't know where we'd have been at. Even if we were lost second round, we'd have been within twenty three points of first place. Yeah. Plain and yeah. simple. So, so that right there, those twenty points is is going to haunt us. But thing about it is, we can we can make that change in Dallas. In Dallas, we just got to step up and go rounds. You know what I mean? And and that's the game plan to go rounds and uh, get past first rounds. The most important thing, and then get in the second round and try to go to the semis and then try to make it to the final. And and uh, when we do that. And I, and I think that we have the car and we have the team that's capable of doing that. It doesn't, And we don't really worry about where we qualify at. We just worry about how our car is running. Because all the races right now, we haven't even qualified in the top three. Yeah. But uh, we've been in the, in the top half of the field, which is crucial. Like, you got to at least be in the top. We like to be, honestly, we like to be in the top five. And our game plan for Dallas is what we're challenging ourselves is, is to qualify in the top five. And we want to try to qualify in the top three, to be honest with you. Yeah, but but you can run a sixty-eight and you could be number five. Right. So yeah, so, yeah, it's like, nasty. Like it's, it's it's tied by thousands. I I ran a seventy with a five and we nuked the clutch in in Q three of St. Louis when we were trying to run a sixty-seven. We put it on our sixty-seven run from Charlotte and then nuked the clutch out of it and we ran a seventy and that put us ninth. But if we ran a sixty-seven, it would have put us high up in the field, like in the top three where we wanted to be. So so that's the that's the game plan going to Dallas is that we're going to try to get a good run off the trailer 
And then Friday night, we just got to go for it. We got to go for it. We got to make a run again to show the first run and then go for it Friday night to get us up in a more favorable spot in qualifying. That makes uh, all the sense in the world. And uh, just as a quick note, we we talked to you after that first round. Amanda Busick did an interview with you, and and you know you you were fired up. I mean, your your body language. We could tell your body language. You gave obviously a your total pro. You gave a, a pro answer, and and but it was you could see it coming off you. And I said to Tony, I said you know off off our microphones. I said. I said that's a guy. That's a guy who now has the expectation level has changed, and and to me it's exciting because the expectation level is is not you know not going a couple rounds. The expectation level now is is a championship, and that to me is uh, that to me is what I saw kind of in your demeanor in that interview, which was cool. Well, the thing about it is, is that she she tried to catch me at that right moment, and, uh, <laughs> and she wanted to catch me off a of kelter, but I I held it in because yeah. uh, I was just I, yeah. I was mad. Yeah. I was mad. I, I was mad because the thing about it is, and Clay's coming over to me, apologizing to me. I looked at him and said, don't apologize to me. You're supposed to beat me. You want to beat me. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is you know this deal? I mean? People apologizing to each other blows my mind. I mean, I get he's being a nice yeah. guy, but damn it. And I'm yeah. not just saying it's not just him. It's like Caps wins the damn 80 grand at the shootout, and he's apologizing to Hagen. Like, come on, man. What are we apologizing around here for? Yeah. No, ain't no apologizing. Like, think about it was, is that, like, he just yeah. knew what happened because yeah. I was sitting there and I couldn't do nothing with it. And he was just, he was saying, like, I feel for you because there's nothing I can do. Yep. <laughs> you get what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And, and he saw me sitting there just rolling down the racetrack and knew I couldn't get back on the gas pedal. Because if I got back on the gas pedal, he wasn't getting back on it because I was so far in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, I was just like, it's, hey, it's, it's, it's all good, yep. brother. It's all good. I said, hey, Hopefully we get our fair share. Right. Like you know what I mean? It's <laughs> right, like right. like I looked at some stuff this year. You see some cars. I mean, it's like you can't get lucky. Yeah, I, I, we just want some. We haven't had no luck on our side yet. <laughs> well, listen. Now would be the now would be the time to start uh, to start cashing some of those checks. And Clay's the guy who knows it firsthand. I mean, he went about five races in a row and lost every first round by a couple of thou. And, and a couple of these have come back to him, and they'll certainly be coming back to you. Antron, thanks for taking the time, man. The Maco Tools Series XM Toyota Lucas Oil Top Fueler is in uh, prime shape, and you have uh, you have certainly uh, brought a new. Uh, energy to this countdown and, and the top fuel battle is going to be unbelievable to watch. Well, I appreciate it, Brian. Thank you so much, man. I look forward to it. It's going to get interesting. Trust me. Talk about interesting insight. Talk about an interesting approach and kind of a window into a season for Antron Brown that uh, was looking more abundant times and has just come roaring back to the championship form that um, that we know and love about the guy. I mean, he's bringing the house. As you heard him tell some of those inside stories, it was great stuff. Matt Smith, of course, uh, his conversation was uh, was revealing on several levels. Chip Ellis going to be riding the Suzuki bike uh, in Dallas at the Stampede of Speed, not this weekend, but next. And um, this whole thing is just absolutely shaping up to be nearly beyond anything um, that any of us have seen in the, in the modern world of drag racing over the last uh, several years. So it's going to be fantastic. We'll be back next week with a Stampede of Speed pre-race show. I'll bring back Kevin McKenna. We'll bring back Tony Pedregon to get you uh, kind of settled in on what we should be paying attention to. Now, if you do not have tickets yet, you can go to stampedespeed.com. If you go to that website, they have all the different events that are happening over the course of the week at the Texas Motorplex from the Nitro Chaos Race, which is actually happening this weekend. And then you can go down through the Nitro Sideshow that Scott Palmer is putting on, where he's going to be racing Jeff Deal and the Nitro Funny Carvers Top Fuel Battle and all the different stuff they have lined up early in the week. There's going to be a big pro mod battle in the middle of the week. There's professional testing going on. There's a concert. Um, 
It is relentless. So you can go to stampedespeed.com. And, of course, we want to see you Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for our Camping World Drag Racing Series Texas Nationals, which will be the culmination of the Stampede of Speed. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I hope you learned some stuff about some of the inner workings of our championship contenders here today. I know I did, and I will be carrying that forward to our coverage of the uh, fall texas nationals so i'm brian loans thanks for listening we'll see you next week right back here again on the nhra insider podcast